Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. But Thank you for coming today. We are um, in the second week. Last week I was out of town and Jared kicked off um, our third semester, our third summer in the book of Exodus. Uh, so this is a familiar story, pretty much if you're in church or you're not in church. Pretty much everybody knows the basis of this story. You've probably seen uh, Charlton Heston bare-chested in the Ten Commandments on ABC every year. Uh, the one with the awesome special effects, right? Uh, this is a familiar story to most of us, but here's where we left off last week. Uh, Pharaoh, who was grief-stricken over the loss of his firstborn and all of Egypt's firstborn, uh, was defeated, and he let all of God's people go, and they began a journey fleeing Egypt on their first uh, freedom trip, so to speak. He let them go, but quickly Pharaoh flipped. Pharaoh changed his mind and his grief turned to rage and he sent his army out to charge all of the Israelites and kill them all. God's people found themselves trapped between the Red Sea and in the back of them is Pharaoh's bloodthirsty army coming down on them. It seemed to be hopeless. Their response was to whine uh, like our kids do at bedtime. Grumbling, complaining, uh, but thankful. We are thankful that God is greater than our fickleness. His faithfulness is greater than our fickleness. So, what does God do? God parts the sea. God's people, the Israelites, walk through on the other side of dry ground. When they get to the dry ground and they're all safe, God crashes down and the sea swallows up all of Egypt's army overcomes them. Now God's people are free people, right? They're in this celebratory fashion and they begin to break out in a party like it's 1999. Now, if you don't know what that reference is, you might be a result of a party in 1999. <laughs> yeah, that will come around later. So the idea here is they break out in a song. Great victories demand great songs. So what do they do? They sing. It's the first thing that they do. It's the first song we see in the Bible. It's called the Song of Moses or the Song of the Redeemed. They are victorious, two to three million, standing on the banks of the Red Sea, and they break out in song. Let me read this song to you that they sing. 
Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness and awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of your greatness, of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you've purchased. You will bring them and implant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. God saves his people sing. God saves his people sing. Let me pray before we get into the text. Father, we love you. God, we are studying you today. May you be exalted. May we leave this place with a better understanding and grasp of who you are. Father, thank you for saving us. The song of the redeemed should be the song of us today for those in Christ's song. The gift of music and scripture combined. Father, help us to be a singing people. We love you. Thank you for giving us reason to sing. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's break this passage down. Here's something that I want to have us do today. As we study an Old Testament uh, book here, we're not just studying the historicity of the Bible. We are studying God, who the same God in the Old Testament is the same God today, and we're also studying ourselves, the Israelites. That's us today. Let's keep that in mind as we unpack this song of Moses today. Let's read this together. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, 
For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. They had been beaten, oppressed, and enslaved for 400 years, and now they have tasted freedom through God's victory. They break out in song. They're singing the song of the redeemed. But they're not just singing. They're, they're not just singing to other people. They're not just singing to each other. They're not just singing because Moses told them to sing. They are singing, according to verse 1, they're singing unto the Lord. They sang the song unto the Lord. And I will sing to the Lord. Our song in this gathering is to the Lord. Not to Caleb. Not because Caleb tells us to. Not because it's what church people do in the formality of the gathering. You're not singing because someone's telling you. You're not singing so other people can sing and hear you. You are singing directly unto God. And I will be honest with you. This morning, as I worship this morning, uh, sitting in the back and even the front, so, listen, that's a fight. Like, I have to fight to remember that the songs that are coming out of my mouth, the words, are singing directly to God. My mind is drifting. I'm reading words, and there's distractions. I'm thinking about this and that, and I have to stop. I'm not at peace with that. Hey, man, you're singing to God right now. Do you understand what you're doing. And then I find that place. I find that place where the words are now, it's just me and God. And that is where worship happens. Oh, Stewart's Creek, if we can grab that, our lives, our worship in here, in this place, will be radically transformed. We can fight against the distractions, all the things competing. The, the things of, should I read the words? I don't know the song. Listen, if you just sing the words and just abandon everything and it's you and God, watch worship flourish in this place. Two to three million standing out in front of all. Wow. Now, you know, two to three million out of all those people, not all of them has the gift, right? You know what I'm talking about? The gift of voice, the gift of a pleasant voice. There's, I'm sure you've got a few Bonos in there. You've got some O-Nos. Uh, so here's the deal. They're still singing at the top of their lungs. They're belting out. Why? They're not singing because their voice is good. They're singing because their God is good. You and I, when we come in here, we don't sing because our voice is good. We sing because our God is good. That's reason to sing. So the Psalms say, make a joyful noise, not a pretty one. Make a joyful noise. And that is incredible. Singing is an incredible part of our worship to God. As 
Scripture is important to teach. To sing it is equally important. It shapes what we do as a church. We preach the Word of God. We stand on the Word of God. We teach it and we sing Scripture. It's a form of worship. Listen what Martin Luther says about song. Next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible and over 50 explicit commands to sing. Like a command to sing. Like if we think about that in the midst of all the other commands, it's a little bit strange, right? Don't murder and sing. Uh, don't touch another man's wife and don't forget to sing. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. And remember, sing. Now some of us uh, in the room, you just love to sing. You're singing people. You're singing here. You're singing in the car, the shower. You love to sing. It's not very hard for you to do that. But for others, that's not us. You are, uh, singing is an emotional thing, and I, I'm not really an emotional person. I'm not passionate. I just, I'm kind of an introvert, I'm kind of a quiet person. Uh, can we just skip the glee stuff and get to the sermon? Right? I don't like the song, and it's just it's weird and it's awkward, and I, I don't like to do that. Now, listen, if that's you, and I'd love to go to a Predators or a Titans game with you or a Taylor Swift concert. I'd love to go kick it with you there, but you won't be late, and I bet you'll sing like the choir, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? We hear uh, songs like Sweet Home Alabama, and everybody goes crazy. We're singing songs, we're going nuts, and we don't even like Alabama. It's a necessary evil to get to Florida, right? <laughs> hey, I'm a UT fan, i got to say that. Okay. Women, women, you hear, hello, and you think you're Adele. No problem singing that. Man, you hear, don't stop believing, and you think you're in journey. It's really a journey in your car from home to work. Uh, my wife, man, she sings. She's, when she's in the car, she hears Prince, when doves cry, except it sounds more like when doves die. She, hey, she's good. She hears all this stuff before I preach it to you all. You got to understand that. Don't feel too bad for her. My point is, is we, we, have, we sing like crazy people. In our cars, the shower, wherever we are, we're singing like crazy people. But when it comes to worship, we plead the fifth. We get quiet. We get reserved. We're not as passionate. We're not as uh, pouring out as we do in those er other areas. And listen, God commands us to sing. Not when we feel good. Not when we're emotionally up to it. Not when we're in our happy place. He commands the people of God to sing. And listen, he's given us reason to sing, right? I mean, these people have just been saved. That's why they're singing. For no other reason, God has done the same with you. He has given us reason to sing. I, I sit in the back sometimes and, and on Sunday mornings and listen, I pray for this congregation. I pray a lot, and I watch our congregation, and I, I speak to things that I believe that we need to understand as a people. And many times I sit in the back and I say, there's not enough praise inside of us. Men who are 
supposed to be leading their families and their homes and their marriages? Not singing. God says, sing, but we're too cool for that. And that's not my thing. I'm reserved. No, godly men sing. And I would go venture to say that every godly woman in here has a deep desire for husband to sing and lead well. All of us. Now, there's a few other reasons why we may not sing in this place. Some don't have anything to sing about. You're not actually saved, so therefore you're not bursting out in song. And then there are others who actually have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you've forgotten. You've drifted so far away from your salvation, you forgot what he did for you. You are distracted by the things of today. They're consuming you. The weight of the world's coming down, and you forgot that you actually have salvation at the end of all this. You might be struggling with a besetting sin, so therefore you have guilt in you. You don't think you're good enough to sing to God. Confess the sin, sing to God. There are many reasons, but all of them that we do not sing are not good. There's a problem there somewhere that we must continue to work through and sing unto the Lord. God saves and his people sing. Let's go in the text and keep going. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Now, if you're following around the text, you'll see that the people of God here did not bust out in Queen's track, we are the champions. What they are singing, God is my champion. You did all of this. You won. You defeated. You made a way. Your right hand. You set your affections on us. You saved us, O Lord. There is no song in here about anything that they did. They did not get to the other side of the sea and say, God, that was a pretty cool thing you did there. You parted that sea. There's dry land. But you know what, God? I had to really decide if I wanted to walk on the other side of that. I had to get up. I had to carry a lot of baggage with me. Like I had to, that was a long journey, God. It was very tiresome, but I pushed through. I made a way. And when I got to the other side, I said, God, thank you for partnering with me in, in my salvation. No, that's not what they said. God, 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 you saved us. And this is where we are. And we often Forget this, God's right hand, God saved you, his might, his power, not ours. So this is why you'll notice in our songs and our worship on Sunday, we never sing about man. The only time we do sing about man is how weak we are. Look at the words. 
Weak people, only good in us is God, God, God. God, you have done great things. How great you art, right? We sing about God because it is God's power of salvation. All right? Here's what else we see. Is we, he also speaks in the song about the futility of man's effort. Right? Man's effort to save, we saw it, the the I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide, my desire, I will draw my sword, my hand, I, 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 I. That's what God's enemies do. I will save myself, my power, my might, I don't need God, I'll do this on my own. God's people depend on God and God's adversaries always depend on their own will and effort. God is just against his adversaries in this text, is he not? Does God hug, hug it away and say, ah, it's okay? No, he does not. For 400 years has God been patient? Yes. Given them ample opportunity to repent? Yes. Gave them nine plagues. Still did not. His wrath slowly builds up over a period of time, but his fury is swift. At the sneeze of his nostrils, they are consumed like stubble, is what the text says. God is just, and God has adversaries. The same is true today. Who's God's adversaries? Who are God's enemies today? Who is Egypt? All those that oppose and do not submit to Jesus Christ as Lord over their life. That's it. Those are God's enemies. Will he be swift and mighty? Absolutely. He still will punish those who do not submit to Jesus Christ and Lord. And it will be swift. And it will be eternal. His wrath slowly builds for those. He's giving plenty of opportunity for those to repent. Some of you today. But when he blows out his fury, it will be swift. You know that God's wrath on unbelievers is in hell. Hell's not the absence of God. Hell is the wrath of God poured out on sinners. And I know we start talking about the wrath of God. Man, it starts to get people uncomfortable. But you read the text like I read it. He, he's justful. He's wrath. He is those things towards his adversaries. And those that tend to minimize the wrath of God, they trivialize sin. Those that minimize the wrath of God minimize the need for God's gospel. Right? So what is the, the charge? It's to repent. Don't be like Egypt. Learn from Egypt. Repent. And that word repent, it starts to press in. And we, so many people on this earth hate that word repent. But there are millions perishing in hell today that would love to hear that word one more time. Learn and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That would be our hope for you Today, let's continue in the text. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? 
You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Now they have just broken out of 400 years of exposure to polytheistic Egypt, worshiping many false gods. They've been tainted and shaped by that. And they get on the other side and they say, no one's like you, God. There is no other God. They're all fail in comparison. You are the one true Yahweh. You are holy. You are power. Everything obeys you. The sea, the wind cannot blow without your permission. The diseases must come to you and ask for permission. The locusts obey you. God, everything obeys you. You are the one mighty God. Now the song goes also to say he's not only holy, he's not only all-powerful and all-sovereign, but he's also steadfast in love. So you have a, a God who's so powerful that he can squash any of us, right? But he doesn't do that for his people. He's steadfast in his love towards those who love him. The Hebrew word for steadfast love here is called hesed. And this kind of love is not emotive. It's not an emotional feeling that fades. It is a love. It is a determination of the will. It says, I'm going to love you and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. That's why we sing is God will never leave us. Jesus said in Hebrews that we'll never leave him, forsake him. Steadfast love. God has shown them his mighty power and shown and revealed that he is the great I am. And now he's saying, I'm the great I do. I've married you. You are my church. You are my bride. And I'm not breaking my I do. We have tons of weddings every day in our life. And we see people all the time saying I do. And it's just a futile couple of words. And they're breaking that covenant all the time. You know who never breaks his I do? God doesn't. He has called the church, his bride, his people, set them apart from the world. And he says, I do. And I have a steadfast love for you. Despite your grumbling, despite your complaining, despite your adultery against me, I'm never leaving you. Now that right there should make us burst out in song in this place on Sunday and burst out in obedience through the week when we leave here. We have a God that will not leave us nor forsake us because he set us apart from the world. Despite anything that we do, he will not leave. Why? Because what God saves, God secures. You see, the Israelites, the salvation was never dependent upon them in the first place, was it? They weren't like this holy people that were just awesome. And then God said, okay, well, you're, you're pretty good. I'm going to choose you. No, he chose them before the foundation of the world, before they did anything. He chose them in their disobedience and their adultery. He said, I'm setting you apart. So your salvation was never dependent upon you to begin with. So it's not dependent upon you now to keep it. And the same is true for you in Christ Jesus. Never was dependent upon you in the first place. God is powerful. He is over salvation and he secures what he saves. 
And that is a reason for us to break out in song. Let's keep going. The peoples have heard, they, have, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the peoples pass by whom you've purchased. You will bring them in a plant on your own mountain. Place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Heavyweight champion of the world, Pharaoh and his army have just been KO'd, knocked out. And the ripple effect, the story had spread to the world where all of God's enemies are trembling in fear now. They're saying, wow, that God of those people, he's to be feared. Look what he did to the most mighty nation on the earth, the most mighty king of Pharaoh. They trembled in fear. They quaked. What were God's people doing? Not quaking, not fearful. Their God had saved them, had a steadfast love for them, and they begin to sing about the promises of God, the future promises of God, as if they've already happened. Right? They're singing about the promised land. God, you're going to lead us to the promised land. You've led us to the promised land. Singing about a truth in the future that has not yet occurred. And this is why we sing about the hope of heaven in this place. We're singing about a future hope that we know is secure, and it keeps us focused in believing that truth in the midst of dark days. Because in 10,000 years from now, the job that you've lost, the friend that you've lost, the relationship that you've lost, the game that you've lost... The sickness that you might be walking through today, the pain you might be walking through, it will not matter. Spoiler alert, God wins. And for everybody who's in the name of Jesus Christ, you win, right? We, we will stand in future glory, and that keeps us focused on the prize as we move forward. And these other things don't sweep our legs out from under us and help us to forget what God is going to do. And that's why we sing what we sing, because singing helps us remember these truths. We sing songs like Amazing Grace, not because it's just a good old hymn. We sing about it because it reminds us that it is by God's amazing grace that we're even saved. We sing songs like We Believe, not because Travis wrote it, but because it helps us remember what we believe. It is a creedal song. Listen to the words. Helps us stay rooted. We sing songs like, You hold it all. Not because it's awesome, because it is awesome. But because we want to declare, God, you hold it all. You hold salvation and you hold every situation. God is sovereign. We sing the truths because they help us keep us focused on the truce. So here's what we're doing. In case you haven't clearly let up, this is a main theme that I want us to hang on to as we continue in the book of Exodus. What we're seeing is a foreshadowing of a greater Exodus that's going to occur 
We are reading and studying the gospel in Exodus. Go with me for just a moment. God has set a people apart. Not because of what they've done, but because of who he is. Set them apart. He's placed his affection on those people. He calls out to them. He saves them. He delivers them from Egypt. They get out of Egypt and he establishes a covenant with them. He says, I'm not leaving you and I will not forsake you. And I am promising you the promised land. Now the same is the greater truth for those that are in Christ Jesus today. The gospel. Caleb's going to come out and we're going to lead through a song. But listen, for those that are in Christ Jesus, God has set you apart from the rest of the world. And then he called on you. You came, walked through the Red Sea. He saved you by his right hand, his mighty power. He saved you from your Egypt, sin and the penalty of sin. Saved you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Said, here's my covenant, steadfast love with you. And I am promising you eternity in heaven. See, that's the gospel in Exodus. All the Bible points to the gospel. It's threaded all the way through it. We have to see it in everything that we read. And this is why we sing the praises of God right there. Because he's given us reason to sing and to praise him. We sing to a great, great God. So what I want to do right now, we're going to do something a little bit different. Caleb's going to lead us through a song. And then I'm going to come up after and finish the sermon. But here's what we're trying to do. We want to mirror what we've just read. The people of God have just tasted salvation. So in this room today, if you've tasted salvation, you're standing on the other side of the sea on dry ground. You've seen the mighty hand of God do something miraculous and saving you. This is why you sing. We will sing together of how great our God is. And if you don't know that, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you sing. I'd rather you come talk to someone about Christ and know why we sing. But for the people of God, man, let's now stand. Let's be victorious people and let's mirror God's people in the scriptures and let's sing victorious together.
And amen. You guys have a seat. God is good. Let's finish the text today. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found the water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. And they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Now, three days after they singing the glorious praises of God, uh, they had out, run out of resource for all of the water that they took on their trip. They were without water. The human body can survive right around three days uh, without water. So this must have felt, they, they came up to this place called Mara. They were very thirsty people and they get up to it and only to find that it's undrinkable. This must have been like a cruel joke to them. Right? This is like you running a 10K race and getting to the finish line. And someone hands to you what you think is a cup of water and it's a cup of vinegar. Right? What is the response of God's people grumbling against Moses? Grumbling against God. Really? You would do this to us? You would rescue us out of Egypt and do all that only to have us die of dehydration? God, where are you at? Now, if I'm Moses right here, I'm taking my staff and I'm splitting some wigs. I'm just being honest. I'm cracking some skulls. If I'm God, I do something else with that log. But what does God do? God throws a log in the water. And out comes a fountain in the middle of the desert, springs of water, shade. Endless drinking water for them. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That God to his people responds like that. Now clearly God is not some genie in a bottle that wants every time we need something to cry out to him. But he, here's what he's doing. He's wanting them to know that they can not only trust him. He's not just the God of their salvation. He is the God of their provision. Hey, I saved you, but I'm not just saving you from hell. I'm saving you to provide for you because you're my children. I will give you water. I'll give you food. I will give you shelter. I will give you anything that you actually need, not your greeds, your needs. I will be that God for you. And he's testing them. This is the beginning of 40 years of testing by God of this people in Israel. This is the wilderness. This is what we're going to see for the duration of Exodus, of what God's people continue to do despite over and over their rebellion, their adultery, their complaining, their grumbling. God doesn't leave them. That is our God. And that's why, that is why we respond in song and in prayer. That's the reason they failed the test. So the question is this today. Do, do, you, 
Do you sing to God in this place? Do you sing to God in your car? Like when you when you in here on Sunday mornings, do you find that place where it's just you and God? Do you sing to him? When you do sing, is he moved by you? Or is it monotonous, routine, standing, mouthing words? And clearly you know that's not pleasing to the Lord. Man, he wants your heart. He wants it to be you and him to abandon all the fears, the, the things that might distract you from worship, the things that I'm, my pride won't let me down. I'm not going to do that. I don't want people watching me. He wants you to abandon all those things so it's just you and him. Do you do that? Man, it's a fight. And you will have to fight to remember what God has done. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to set up a response for what God has done today. Father, we love you. We uh, are just overwhelmed with the gift of song that we've seen in the text today. The Bible is our authority in everything that we do. And you have commanded us to sing, and you've given us reason to sing. Father, help this congregation, help this people, help this church, including myself, to sing intimate praise of the victory of you saving us. Transform our congregation to life and song. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.